I, I want to ask if you would open your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 16. Um, if you're a guest with us, we're really glad that you're here, and uh, thank you for taking taking this Sunday to uh, to join us. We have a group from New Philly, which is here. Whoop whoop! And we're excited to see them. And guys, we're on the heels of mission focus, so that was exhausting um, physically, uh, challenging spiritually. I've I've got a notebook full of things that God just challenged me with and, and rocked my world with. And, and uh, maybe over the next week or so, we can hear some testimonies uh, about that. Um, this is the last Sunday of the year. Is that a, I mean, listen, they say this is true, and, I, and I, I'm learning it. The grayer my beard gets, the faster the years go. Is that like a real thing? It's like, holy, I got people touching the gray hair going, yeah, it's like really fast. All right, I cannot believe tomorrow's 2024. That blows my mind. And um, I want to share a message um, with, with you guys this morning. This is something that's been on my heart for months. I've kind of had this set off to the side. And so when we're doing the volume of the book series, which we're going to be ramping that back up later on um, in the next few weeks, this is, a, there's, this is a passage I wanted to hang out in, but um, it doesn't necess- necessarily fit what we're trying to do on the volume of the book. And so this is kind of a deep dive into this guy named King Asa. And, um, and uh, so at the, at the end of the year, we, we typically like to take stock of uh, the previous year and look back and have memories and some of us have words that we pick at the very beginning of the year, and that's going to be kind of our life word for the year, and, and we might forget that word by the time May comes around, or, you know, whatever, we make New Year's resolutions, you know, all the stuff. And um, this year has, has been a pretty, pretty, good, um, a pretty good year. It's been a year of transition for sure, and this next year for sure is going to have even, even more. Um, but as this year is coming to a close, um, I want to call us out. I want to call us out to something greater than ourselves. I don't know about you, but man, this, this whole Christmas season was the least Christmas feeling Christmas I've like ever had in my entire life. Just the busyness, and I'm tired of running, man. I'm just tired of being busy about the world's business. I want to be about the Lord's business. And I know I talk about this every few, every few months, just the, the ability to live a simple life, right? Simple does not mean you're not busy. You're just focused on things that matter, right? Simple as in, I'm going to live my life in a way that's going to See, does seek out opportunities to see people saved. Just an evangelistic life. Praying that I will have the opportunity to lead somebody to Christ so that I can pour my life into that person and reproduce my walk with Jesus and somebody else. That's discipleship. And at the same time, so, I mean, we can live our lives like that on the daily, amen? We can do that. That's, in fact, that's like biblical and stuff. That's what we're supposed to do. And we have our jobs, we have our, have our hobbies, we have all those things, but all of that should be pointing to those things, make, lead people to Christ and make disciples. All right, but on the other side of that is, okay, once I've become a disciple, okay, God has something in store for me. God has something specifically for me, for his kingdom, and also plugged into my local church. All right, so that's not the same for Dave Shelby as it is for me. It's not the same for Levi as it is for, as, as it is for April Creaky. It's different. Right? The mission's always the same, but how, what God has in store for you is a little bit different than what God has in store for me. And we're to come together and you bring to the table what you bring and I bring what I bring and we do this together as a team, right? All right, so that's simple. Okay, where, where do I fit in? Where's my place within the body of Christ? You can't do that if you're not here, right? So you gotta be plugged into the body of Christ and fit where I fit. But then there's also like, okay, I think God may be calling me to even more. Okay, well then we have times of training. Right, And that is our MTT, our Ministry Tools and Training, and our Bible Institute, and those type of things. But here's what happens. When we hear all this, we just get so busy with church, and we get so busy living our lives, 
and we just try to get it all done, man, what would happen if we would just take stock of ourselves and just simplify our life, man, and just focus on the things that matter? And so I'm calling you to greatness, man. I'm calling you out. I'm calling myself out to something greater than myself. I'm calling you out just to serve the Lord with your life. That's what I'm calling you to. And listen, I know in every church we have those who just come and they sing a few songs and they go their way. And Okay, we're glad that you're here. But man, God's called us for so much more than that. So I'm calling you out. I'm, I'm, I'm just putting a call out. That let's serve the Lord with our lives. And, and specifically, I'm calling you out to fulfill the work that God gave you to do. I'm not asking you to be Tony. Can you imagine how horrible this church would be if we had a bunch of me's running around? Come on, I'm tired of myself half the time. But what has God called you to do? And that's the message title. Am I on the way to being finished? Am I on the way to being finished? And as I'm prone to do, I, have, I like plays on words. I do that because I think it helps us remember things. Now, there's a few verses I wanted to launch off into before we get to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. And the first one is this, John chapter 17, verse 4. Jesus says this, I've glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So God gives, the God the Father gave God the Son the job to do. And then at the end of it, he says, I finished the work. And that is a bold statement to be able to make that statement. All right, my life verse, Colossians chapter 4. In verse 17, Paul is admonishing, he's, he's telling this guy named Archippus to take heed to the ministry which thou hast received the Lord, that thou fulfill it. He says, hey, he, he doesn't say, hey, Archippus, I want you to do what I'm doing. He doesn't say that. Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received the Lord, that thou fulfill it. This is your job, Archippus, you do this. But don't just do it, do it till the end. Make sure that it's done. Now, Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Not Richard Sutterby's course. I've finished my course. Not Dave Stahl's course. My course. So what is it that God has called you to do? And if you don't know the answer to that question, then I'm going to ask you to get discipled. Because we cover the will of God in there. And the will of God is the same for every single one of us. He would desire that everybody be saved, that we would be sanctified, that we would be soul winners, right? And the list goes on and on. Start there. That's the will of God for your life. And then God will begin to develop his plan for you as you submit to him in the, in the will of God. But Paul says this, I have fought a good fight, which I like that phrase, right? Oh, we, can fight, we can fight, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good, good one. Listen, the algorithm on my phone knows me really well. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is watch fighting videos. Can I explain that? No, because I'm not a fighter. I mean, just look at me. I, 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 I'd like to think that I'm pretty scrappy, you know, but I don't know that that's true. I get winded walking from the car to the house, right? So I, I just don't know that that's true, but... Man, I, I, I like that. And there's people out there, man, they're wailing and throwing haymakers, and they ain't landed nothing. They're just fighting good fight. Now, Paul says, no, I fought a good fight. In words, I did it according to the rules. I, I did it like I'm supposed to do. And then he says, but I've, I've finished my course. He, he, he talks about boxing, boxing. He talks about a race, but he says, I have kept, I've kept the faith. Now, the, the question on the table, this message title is, am I on the way to being finished? But let me put this next slide up because there's a big difference between you finished and you're finished. Would you agree with that? There's a big difference between those two phrases. You finished. You're finished. Big div. There's a big difference in those two statements. And so the question is still the same though. Am I on the way to being finished? And that might look like option A. You finished, man, you did it. You fought a good fight. You've, you've kept the faith, right? You did it. You're finished all the way to the end. Or are you on your way to being finished where somebody can just tap you on the shoulder and say, you're finished. You're done. 
or I'm finished. First, I'm finished. So that question, I think, is a very, very important one. And so I've got six questions for us to, to ask to maybe help us answer that question, right? So Jesus is prone to answer questions with questions. And so, Lord willing, by the end of this, you'll be able to answer this first question of, am I on the way to being, am I on the way to being finished? Okay, well, here's question number one then. Have I embraced comfort and complacency? Have I embraced comfort and complacency? All right, so I have you in chapter 16. I want you to go to chapter 14 just for a moment. In chapter 14, we're introduced to this King Asa, and King Asa takes over the throne. It's now his turn to rule and reign. Verse 1, it says, So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days, the land was quiet ten years. And so you get this idea, okay, once one person's race is done, now it's somebody else's time to, to run. And so, so he takes over chapter 14, verse 1. Now look at verse 2. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He's starting off good, right? Coming out of the starting blocks really right. He's coming out strong. No false start. Things are going really good. Verse 3, he took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law of the commandment. He also took away out all the cities of Judah, the high places and the images, and the kingdom was quiet before him. In other words, he cleaned house. He does what's right. He's starting off really, really well. Look at chapter 15. Get to chapter 15 and verse 8. Prophet comes to him and speaks to him in, in, in verse 8. He says, when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and, and Benjamin, out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. So when he's leading, he's leading well, and people automatically come and they start to follow. You want followers? Lead. You don't, leaders never demand followers. They just lead and turn around their people following them. Now check this out, verse 10. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month, in the 15th year of the reign of Asa. So now we're 15 years in. There's a lot happening here. We're 15 years in. People are coming to him in abundance. Now go to chapter 16, verse 1. In the sixth and thirtieth year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, the king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Uh-oh, 21 years later. So from chapter 15, verse 10, to chapter 16, verse 1, is 21 years. And what you find is this is him on his path to being finished and I, it ain't the good finished if you know what I'm saying he starts off so well and God disqualifies him he disqualifies himself and he gets he gets taken out I feel like we need to pray Lord I thank you Lord for this example Lord, that we have in Scripture. That's what your word says the Old Testament is. It is our example to apply New Testament principles. And so, Father, Lord, I, I pray that uh, we will learn from King Asa. Lord, that we'll ask these questions that we come across as we just examine his downfall. And Lord, I pray that if there is an area where we would seem to be going the same way that Asa is, Lord, I pray that we would take heed to the word of God and turn our feet unto your testimonies. Lord, I pray that you would um, uh, speak through me, Lord, that we would hear your word, and Lord, that we would take this very, very seriously. Lord, I know you have big things in store for us because you called us to big things. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we'll be able to say at the end, that I finished my course. Lord, we need you. Pray that you will speak. In Jesus, I pray. Amen. So the first question, 
is, have I embraced comfort and complacency? Now, what's implied here is we're now 21 years later. Asa is kicking it in, 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 in Judah. And then Baasha, the king of Israel, has come against Judah. And he's watching as the enemy has now come and begins to set up shop. It says that he builds Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. So here's Asa, who's responsible for the people that God has given him. And he's watching the enemy set up shop to the intent that he's setting it up so that there's an embargo, that there's, there's no way for people to get in and get out. And he sits back and watches it happen. And I'm, I'm telling you, that's where a lot of believers right there, they coast. And that's exactly what he's doing here. He's coasting. He started off so well and so strong, taking out enemies left and right. And when the enemy comes knocking after 21 years, three generational life cycles of a body of Christ, he allows the enemy to build a fortress and isolate him. Festering sin, right? We all have that one sin issue that easily besets us. Instead of dealing with it, what do we do? We just sit back and hope it goes away. We just sit back and, and watch it do its thing. Next thing you know, the end, end goal is gets me isolated from everybody else, including the Lord. So whether it's festering sin or, or just life issues or the difficulties of life or conflict, you name it, it just goes on and on. But I want you to see what this king of Israel is building. He's building Ramah. Now, Ramah means high place. And the high place is, is likened or talks about false doctrine or uh, false teaching, Right? So here's, here's our high place. Now, it's not on the screen. You're going to have to listen, listen to the verse or flip with me. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. Let's do a quick sword drill so you can get there first. Colossians chapter 2, in, in, in verse 8, it says this. Beware lest any man spoil you. That's an act of war, being taken captive. Let Beware lest any man spoil you. How? Through philosophy and vain deceit. The high place. That is the high place today. We live in a world that wants to consume you, wants to isolate you, wants to build Rhema, the high place, and they do that through philosophy and vain deceit. And how do they do that? Through the, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. And not after Christ. Now here's, here's you can go back to chapter 16. Here's Asa, he's sitting here, he's watching Baasha do, do his thing, but he's not doing anything about it. Now, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 gives us the lesson. Neither give place to the devil. In other words, wolves need to be shot on sight. You don't give them a place to do their thing. Shoot the wolves. And that place is only as big as you allow it to be, isn't it? So neither give place to the devil. And here he is, he's kicking, he's watching this guy do all of this against him and just sits back and, and just watches. Is that you? Have you embraced comfort and complacency? Just watching the enemy do his thing. And it annoys you and it frustrates you. And you whine and complain about it. And every day you just look out and see how much further they've gotten on you. All right, well, let's take it a step further. Look at verses two and three. Then Asa brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, that dwelt at Damascus, saying, there's a league between me and thee. As there was between my father and thy father, behold, I have sent thee silver and gold. Go, break thy league with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may depart from me. Interesting. Next question, have I chosen manipulation instead of desperation? He doesn't cry to the Lord. He doesn't seek out the Lord. He goes and finds somebody who's big and bad, right? He goes and finds a friend, phone a friend, right? I need help. As so what does he do? He goes into the house of the Lord. He takes the silver and the gold. He robs God so he can give it to a friend so he can call on the friend to come save the day. He has no intention of fighting. He wants somebody else to do all the fighting for him. 
So if you chose a manipulation instead of desperation, as you see, when you go through the difficult times and the enemy starts setting up shop right outside your camp, doing everything he can to isolate you, do you choose manipulation? How do I work this situation so that the enemy goes away and so that I can continue doing what I do, sit in my lazy boy recliner and do nothing? Because complacency is really comfortable and it's really easy. And so when the enemy shuts, shows up, I can either fight it or call somebody else to fight it. So instead of facing his problems head on, he hires someone else to just deal with it. Sound familiar? The real issue, listen, this is important, not on your sheet, not on your notes, not on the screen. The real issue, he's not even interested in victory. He could care less whether the enemy gets defeated. He just wants them to go away. Would you just go bother somebody else? He wants to get it under control, manipulate it, instead of getting victory. Well, I can, I, I can quit porn anytime I want. Then how about you do it? I, I, I can quit treating my spouse poorly anytime I want. Then why won't you do it? He's not interested in victory. He just wants the problem to go away. And so he decides to trust in man. And he doesn't trust in God. And I'm telling you, the temptation is always to fight spiritual battles in physical ways. Isn't it? When we face a spiritual battle, and make, make no bones about it, this is a spiritual battle. right? This is a divided kingdom. The northern tribes against the southern tribes. This is a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. And the temptation is always to fight the physical battle or spiritual battles in fleshly ways. That's why so many Christians get wrapped up in politics. Right? I don't, listen, do your job. You should vote. You should have your political stances, all those type of things. Do it. But don't think it's going to change the world, man. We were just talking about that this morning. Social issues. Okay, we we're not going to make this a Christian nation by voting. <laughs> Amen? Well, if this person was just in office, Jesus needs to be in office, man. And if he's not ruling and reigning over the hearts and lives of men, then no wonder the world's a mess. Okay. So don't run to, to spiritual issues and, and try to address them physically. It's not going to happen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Look at this. He says, for the weapons of our, notice this next two words, for the weapons of our warfare. We already looked at how the world conducts war. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. They are doing it through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. No, our warfare is a little bit different isn't it? We want to see people translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. That's what we're trying to accomplish. That's our warfare. Okay? So to fight that battle, it can't be carnal. It has to be mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And there's no bigger stronghold than what Ace is facing right here in chapter 16. Rama, a stronghold, a high tower, a high place. So what's the lesson here then? In verses 2 and 3, there's always a price to pay. You're going to have to either give up your comfort, Asa, get out there and fight him yourself, or do what he did. He traded eternal rewards for temporary comfort. He went to the house of God and took gold and silver and cast it in to let somebody else do the work. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of believers are too. Because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we are building upon our foundation of Jesus Christ, gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. And here is a guy who goes into the temple of God, the house of God, which by the way, the Bible says, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you are the temple of God. And he takes the gold and silver out and he sends it off to somebody else. Don't miss out on a full reward. Don't miss out on a full reward because you refuse to fight the battle that God's called you to fight. 2 John, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we lose not to those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a 
full reward. It's kind of, have a, kind of hard to have a full reward when we give the silver and the gold to somebody else. So if I chose manipulation instead of desperation, he should have cried out to the Lord, but he doesn't. All right, verse 4. Go to chapter 16, verse 4. So he says this. He says, Ben Hadad, hearken unto the king of Asa. He's like, hey, you want to make me rich? I'll do this. And so here's this king of Syria that shows up and that has end times connotations. I wish we'd had time to get into it. It's not the scope of what we're trying to accomplish this morning. It says, And Ben-Hadad hearkened unto King Asa and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they smote Ijon and Dan and, and Abel-Mam and, and all the store cities of Naphtali, and, and came to pass when Ben-Hadad heard it, that he left off building Ramah and let his work, let his work cease. Well, in that, Vic, this is great, isn't it? Verse 6. Then Asa the king took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and the timber thereof wherewith Baasha was building and he built there with Geba and Mizpah. All right, got to get this question then. Have I mistaken failure for success? Because the next day he looks out, enemy's gone. Oh, look, there's building materials. I can build Two places out of one. I, I'm, this, is, this is great. Hold on. Often, we run to the world, or we run to somebody else, run to counselors, run to this, run to that, hoping that they're going to save the day. Trust in man, and on the surface, his decision seems to pay off. And there's going to be a situation like that for you and me where the decision we make, even though it's not biblical, seems to pay off. Look, hey, I must have made the right decision. Enemy's no longer here. Problem is, the enemy still exists. It just went away for a time. See, his problem went away. It didn't get defeated. That isn't success. That's failure, man. And he capitalizes on the situation. He seems to come out on top. I mean, he builds Geba and he builds Mizpah. Now, here's what's interesting. Geba means hillock. It means a little hill. What was Ramah? A high place. And what's a high place? It's always synonymous with false religion, false teaching, idolatry. And so he doesn't build a high place. He just builds a really small one. He builds a really small one. Why? Because we tend to like the high places, at least just a little bit. Don't we? Oh, he builds, he builds Mizpah too. And Mizpah means a watchtower. So he builds a watchtower. Oh, you're going to climb the watchtower and see if the enemy's coming? No, often that watchtower isn't to watch from, it's to be watched from. Did you get that? He builds this high tower not necessarily to watch from, but to be watched from, hoping somebody's looking, hoping somebody sees. If I get high, if I get elevated, if I look like I got it all figured out, maybe somebody will see me, somebody will identify me. Don't mistake failure for success. Verse 7. It says, then at that time, Hanani, the seer, or a prophet. At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God. There's the issue, isn't it? Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thine hand. Whew. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a great host? He's reminding them of, of a formal battle he had just years ago. He says, we're not the Ethiopians and the Lubims a great host with very many chariots and horsemen yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand. Remember that? Remember when that happened a few years ago? Verse nine, often quoted verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Here is thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. That's what is Asa do? He repents, right? Womp, womp, womp. Verse 10, what happens? 
Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people the same time. Next question you have to ask is, have I been open or closed to biblical rebuke? Have I been open or closed to biblical rebuke? When you come to church on a Sunday morning, are you coming prepared to hear from the Lord? Are you just coming to endure the word of the Lord? Have you carved out time every day to hear from the Lord? Are you, in, are you excited when it comes time to disciple or to get discipled? Are you receiving the word of God? Because here's what we know. Every single one of us knows this. As you read the word of God, what happens? The word of God reads you. So let me remind you of Hebrews chapter four in verse 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says this, for the word of God is quick, it's alive, it's, it's powerful, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. The sharpest sword you've ever had, ever one of you, no, the word of God is sharper. Well, how do, what do you mean sharper? Well, it pierces even to the dividing ascender of soul and spirit. Ain't no knife on this planet able to do that. But the word of God does, it cuts, and it cuts deep. And at the joints and marrow, and look at this, and is a discerner. The word of God is the discerner. It's a thing. It's, it's just words on a page. Yeah. That explains a lot. <laughs> That's why we say things like that. It's just words on a page. No, no. It is the living word of God. It's powerful. And as I read it, it reads me. Are you open to its rebuke? Because it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look at verse 13. He says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in... What's the next word? His, that's your word, that's the Bible. His sight. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So as you read the word of God, man, it flays you open. And that right there is why we don't run to it. Why? Because the word of God always convicts. And what's Ace's response? Instead of repentance... He lashes out. So what's the rebuke according to verse seven? According to verse seven, the rebuke is he missed the opportunity to take out the enemy. You missed the opportunity. Listen, the enemy's still alive. It's still kicking. You had the opportunity to destroy it and you didn't. You let them walk away. According to verse eight, here's the other rebuke he has in, in verse eight. You've seen God do some crazy things in your past. Why wouldn't you let him do that in your present? Do you not remember what God has done for you in your past? Maybe, maybe you're one of those who's coasting just a little bit. You just kind of hit the brakes. You're just like, man, I am tired. Serving the Lord is hard. Yes, it is. It is hard to serve the Lord. It's difficult because not everybody's doing it. The majority of Christians are kicking back and lazy boy. Don't do that. But man, it's easy after we've gone through some things and seen some things and got some victory and, and God has us in a great place. There's a danger there. The danger is that we get complacent. And when we get complacent, God's word convicts. We either repent or we lash, or we lash out. And according to this passage, he receives rebuke and he gets upset. And God is just saying, do you not understand the things that I've done for you in your past? Why would you think I can't do that in your present? Man, I look around the room and I can tell you some stories. I can tell you some stories of what God has done in the lives of some people in this building. The counseling sessions I've had, the word of God opened, the tears, the prayers. God has done some big things in some of our lives. Amen? And the temptation is to try to coast the rest of our life off that one moment of victory. When God says, man, there's a host of, host of battles coming your way, man. What are you going to do with it? So in verse 9, the other rebuke he gets is, man, you, your heart robbed you from seeing God work in your life because the eyes of the Lord walk to and fro. They run to and fro. Look, look at verse 9. He says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in, in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect. 
God's like, I was waiting. I was just waiting for you to call out. I was waiting for you to have your heart on me, knowing that I could come to victory. I was ready to do it, but you didn't. And so the, the lesson for him is, according to verse 9, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. In other words, you're going to have a life of constant conflict instead of a life of constant victory. Why do I feel like it's always uphill? Why do I feel like I'm always going through it? Why is, I can't ever get back up. It's always two, two, steps, two steps forward, three steps back, three steps forward, two steps. I mean, it's just it's like I can't get anywhere. Could it be that your heart isn't perfect? You're trying to get your life back in order, and the issue is a matter of the heart. And so notice his response in verse 10. He does not repent. Instead of repenting, he locks the word of God away. He puts it away. He removed authority from his life. I'm the king. You don't tell me what to do. Uh, the king of kings has something to say to you. No, he doesn't. Lock him up. And what happens when we go through a difficult time in our life? Instead of running to the Lord or, and we start to get a little convicted about what the word of God has to say, we shut it. We put it away. We remove the authority. We shut God up because I can't take the conviction anymore. But not only does he do that, the moment he puts the word of God out, he's in a rage, he's convicted. Instead of repenting, he lashes at God's word and he lashes out at God's people. So he removes authority, but he also removes accountability. How dare you speak to me? How dare you do this? How dare you do that? He removes accountability. Danger. Dangerous place to be. Verse 11. And behold, the acts of, the, of Asa first and last. Lo, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa in the thirty and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. What, did he get diabetes? Right? Did, I mean, what, what, gang, are we, what gout? What, I mean, what are we dealing with here? He's diseased in his feet. That's what the Bible says. And oh, by, by the way, it's exceeding great. So it's going to kill him. But notice this at the end of verse 12. Yet in, this, in, in his disease, he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. So he was happy to reach out to a king, but not the king of kings. And he was happy to reach out to a physician, but not the physician. Okay. Well, isn't that interesting? Here's the next question. Have I quit walking and talking with God? Have I quit walking and talking with God? The Bible says he was diseased in his feet. Safe to say, he ain't walking anywhere. And so instead of reaching out and calling out to the Lord to move on his behalf, you know, he goes and he calls the physicians. So he's no longer talking to God. So his feet get diseased. In other words, he's no longer interested or even able to go forward. And maybe that's where you are right now. You just feel like you can't take another step. You can't do anything else. You're diseased in your feet. And I'm telling you, the moment you put away the word of God and you put away God's people, you stop doing anything. You stop getting active. You stop moving forward and your feet get diseased. You can't move forward anymore. Well, Psalm 119, 105, that word is a lamp unto my feet. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 8? Stand fast in the Lord. Well, I can't stand fast if my, if my feet don't work. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that when I, my heart goes wrong, my feet go wrong? I'm sure there's something medically about that that you'll have to talk to Dr. Wanker about that. But I do find it interesting that there are people in ministry who start off so strong and they're so biblical and they're so right and they're great teachers and they, they take biblical stances and then they coast. And at the end of their ministry, they're no longer standing. And they're no longer going forward. And they're not standing fast in the Lord. And I think it's safe to say this. If you got funky feet, they are no longer beautiful. 
Some of you just want, feet just gross you out. Okay. Let me remind you of Romans chapter 10, verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. My friend who shared the gospel with me over and over again, he lived the gospel. He, listen, I've seen his feet. They ain't very pretty. But men, they're beautiful. Because they carried an amazing message. So they're no longer beautiful. And, I, and I, I'm assuming that when your feet get funky like that, the last thing you want to do is put a shoe on it. Well, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You say, well, my feet are fine, are they? Are your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, or is it just really uncomfortable to put that shoe on? Are, are they beautiful? I know that's subjective, not objective, right? But are, they, are, they, are they beautiful because they've carried the message that saves to a lost and dying world? Are, are they solid feet? Are you sure-footed? Are you standing fast in the Lord? Are, are you doing anything according to the lamp of God's word? Are you reading what it says and then mobilizing your feet to carry it out? If not, then may I suggest you have diseased feet. And the reason you have diseased feet is because you have a diseased heart, according to verse 9. But notice this. Notice what it says here. Yet in this, last part of verse 12, yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. Maybe put it this way. He's so bitter about his situation and it's his own fault. He blames God. And he's so bitter about this thing that he will not give God the satisfaction of asking for help. And so he consults professionals instead of a physician. There's a place for professionals. Amen? I'm not, I'm not weird. I, I think there's a place for, for consultants and physicians and counselors. I, I, I think there's a place for all of that. Man, they can never replace prayer. Can't happen. Verse 13. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. Finished. Is it a celebration or mourning? Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. And they buried him, look at this, in his own sepulchers, which he had made for himself in the city of David, and laid him in a bed which was filled with sweet odors and diverse kinds of spices prepared by the apothecary's art, and they made a very great burning for him. Last question. Have I planned to finish or be finished? Because according to this text, he planned to be finished. He died. He didn't finish. He was finished. And it caused the ministry to fail and to flounder because he fell. Now, notice what it says. Where did they bury him? In his own sepulcher. 
was Jesus buried? In a borrowed one. Right. Why was it? Because he wasn't going to stay there, right? So I get, I get it, I get it. He wasn't going to stay there. So he doesn't need one like long-term. Like we borrow caskets, right? That's weird to me, but they, they do. But he has a sepulcher. What does that tell me? He had the expectation of dying. And he was planning to be finished, not to finish. He planned for people to remember him. That's all a mausoleum and sepulcher is, man. Remember me, know that I lived, know that I existed. He like carved out time in his life so people would remember him. Come on, man. That's not what God's called us to do. And then what they do, the apothecary's art, they got all the spices, they got all the stuff. You know what that is? He stank, man. He reeked. Now, unfortunately, when ministers fall, when people within the body of Christ fall or fail or are no longer, they're not focused on finishing, they just get finished. People have to spend time covering up their stink. And it reeks, man. People are affected by his death. So they make a very great burning for him. No, I don't think they cremated him here. You do see that in the Bible. I think they, they lit the incense. <laughs> they lit the smell good stuff. It's a good thing to have it. But man, they had to light that thing up. Funky feet stink. Dying man stinks. But it says they made a very great burning for him. I don't think they're celebrating. It's not a celebration of life. This is more along the lines of mourning what was and what could have been. And there's some heroes of, of the past that I look at now who are no longer serving the Lord, no longer standing, no longer doing anything. And I was just seeing God use them mightily. and They just seem to be just kicking back doing nothing. It won't be a celebration that I'm finished. It'll be a morning. He was finished. Don't let that be you. So here's the question. Are you on your way to being finished? Are you on your way to being finished? You might be thinking... Finished? I even started. Today's a good day to get started, baby. You need to know Christ as your Savior. Lay down your life. Be finished with your old self. Call on Jesus Christ to save your soul. You can be saved today. Start the new year outright. No better day than today. Jesus died for you, took your sin upon himself, and died your death, and was buried and rose again. Praise the Lord. You can have newness of life today, and you can start. But for the rest of us, that's a very important question to ask. And my prayer is that you take those six questions and you meditate on them. Maybe write them down. And carry them with you on a note card or something. Just every so often. Just ask yourself a few questions. Just see where you are. And make sure that I'm well on the way to being finished because we fought a good fight and we've kept the faith. Finished my course. And I'll trust that you'll finish yours. And we'll grieve and we'll mourn those who just are finished. Okay. Because what we didn't read is his son takes over Jehoshaphat. He does a pretty good job. He's like, oh, you're not going to do it? I will. I got this. Just because you fail doesn't mean the, the rest of us have to. Amen? That's encouraging to me. It's really encouraging to me. Let's stand together. So if you need to do business with the Lord, you do business with the Lord.
spend some time praying. You need somebody to talk to, say, hey, I don't know Christ as Savior. Today could be the day of your salvation. Man, grab me. Grab, grab somebody you came with. Somebody close to you says, hey, how do I do this thing? How, how do I get saved? Man, we'd love to share with you how you can meet Christ as your Savior. Guys, let's do some business with the Lord. Let's seek out the Lord first and watch him go to work. And let's walk out of here with some beautiful feet. Yeah, I said it. And so even recorded. Let's walk out of here with some beautiful feet. Why don't you take a few moments, pray, seek the Lord's face, and let's launch out into this new year, which is no more than another day. That's all it is. Let's get after what God has called us to do. Lord, I pray that our response to a message like this is opposite of King Asa. Lord, I pray that we will not be so full of rage and so full of emotions that we'll have an emotional response, but Lord, a biblical one. Lord, I pray instead of putting the word of God away or even the body of Christ away, Lord, I pray that we'll embrace the authority of your word and the accountability that contains within the body of Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the, for the perspective, Lord, that provides us. Lord, as we ask the question, am I on the way to being finished? Lord, I pray that we will all finish strong. And Lord, that there will not be a morning that we just gave up. Lord, may we fight a good fight. May we keep the faith. May we finish the course, Lord, that you've given each and every single one of us. Lord, I pray as we go into this new year, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that we will move forward according to your word, and Lord, that we will not be coasting off the things you've done for us in the past. Lord, to celebrate those, and Lord, we remember those. And Lord, I pray that those moments will fuel our desire to see you do more and do more exploits in our lives. Lord, to give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.